You're listening to The Chain, a science podcast where we bring what is new in biologics and protein engineering to the community of scientists working in the field. We discuss the latest developments with leaders who are on the front lines of cutting-edge research. The journey from scientific idea to a successful startup making novel therapeutics occurs in many ways. And today we're going to hear about the journey of Trialtis Bioscience from a university technology to an established provider of protein purification systems. So I'm joined by Naomi Logsdon, who is the lab manager and a molecular biologist at Trialtis. She has over 30 years of experience and a record of scientific research in both academic and industrial settings. And she is co-author on more than 40 peer-reviewed publications and holds two gene patents. So thank you, Naomi, for being here. Thank you. And I'm also joined by Bob Shufflebarger, who is a life sciences industry veteran and CEO of Trialtis. Uh, He has more than 25 years experience in various facets of life science and technology businesses from his early years working at the science scientific bench to experience directing operations, finance and marketing, developing turnaround strategies, and initiating and completing licensing deals. Bob founded Trialtis in 2017 to commercialize novel protein purification technology from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. So thank you, Bob and Naomi, for joining us today. Thanks, Hannah. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So, Bob, as CEO um, and there at the founding, I'm hoping you can talk about the origin of the company. Um, so, and beginning with what was the founding idea and the early science in the first days of Trialtis? Sure. Uh, Trialtis founding was derived from problem solving. Uh, This is a founding story I'm fond of because I've been part of other startups with similar origin stories. Uh, The primary inventor, Dmitry Vasiliev, is a structural biologist and crystallographer at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Uh, Over his career, he amassed, I think, 60-plus solved protein structures, um, but he became increasingly frustrated that expression and purification and crystallization remained a tricky, unreliable a process, uh, as much art as science. And no matter how many times he did it, each problem was a new one where uh, with, with uh, tools that you could reuse, but uh, the, the solution seemed to be unique for virtually each and every protein. So he sought to develop a new set of approaches to expression and purification of complex biologicals. The goal was to create a new approach that could be systematic, largely target independent and ideally high throughput. Uh, the solution he came, he and his team came up with was a novel chromatographic technology based on the ultra high affinity complex between collison E7 and its immunity protein IM7. Naomi will talk more about the technology later, um, but in rapid succession beginning in 2017, Dimitri published his work Uh, in Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. Uh, I learned about the work and felt strongly that this was a solution that had pretty broad utility. So this led to the formation of the company and a license agreement with UAB so that we could uh, commercialize this core technology. Uh, The early days, and I would say we're still very much in the early days, have included both uh, bringing the technology from the research bench into a production environment and 
various um, uh, evolutions to make it more robust and more commercial ready along that process. And simultaneously working on expanded applications uh, for this technology based on input from users. And so my understanding too was that uh, Trialtis was backed by venture capital, which has been a common and, and popular route for many biotech startups over the last several years and before that as well. But what, what was that process like for the team? I think our funding path thus far has uh, maybe been atypical. Um, I'm, I'm not sure of this, but I, first, we are considered a life science tools company, so that differs in both opportunity and risk compared to a biotech company that develops therapeutics. Um, uh, the, the latter uh, tend to have enormous up, upside if they're successful in developing a new uh, therapeutic drug, um, but the outcome for those companies in the early stages tends to be binary. It's either wild success or it doesn't work out. And um, more often the latter, but for the former, it uh, can be wildly successful. For tools companies, we're um, providing services and products uh, to those researchers. Uh, the upside for us is likely not a multi-billion dollar company, but we're able to um, provide products uh, much earlier and without uh, the, the development risk and the uh, regulatory risk that happens there. Um, so that's a, a key difference, and it influences how and where we are likely to raise funding. Uh, the second is that we operate in Birmingham, Alabama, which is um, not known as a large life science hub. That might be an understatement, but nonetheless, there are many large and secure successful life science companies in smaller markets all over the U.S. So I say this because thus far we've operated uh, with a small seed round of investment from a group of angel investors and family offices in the Southeast. Um, and while I've marveled at some of the big funding announcements from uh, larger life science companies, especially on the East and West Coasts, I would say the silver lining for us in being thinly capitalized is that we've had to pay uh, very close attention uh, to our spend, but also to customers and focus relentlessly on product market fit, making sure that uh, what we have is of interest uh, to potential customers and not just interesting, but uh, compelling so that they're willing to change the way that they do things to try our system. So we feel like we've achieved that to a reasonable extent, especially in the last year. Uh, and we're preparing for another capital raise later this year, which will likely be more traditional and include life science venture capital from a broader geography than what happened in our first round. Thanks for that uh, distinction about, you know, tools company versus, you know, clarifying some of that. So COVID-19 has obviously impacted the biotech industry in so many ways, you know, from workflow to safety restrictions on what employees can do to pivoting to new science uh, in order to work on coronaviruses and related topics. How has Trialtis been affected by that? You know, we um, realized pretty early in the COVID shutdown that we could continue to operate with minimal risk to our team. Um, being in a small city, uh, we're all driving cars to work. We're not relying on public transportation. 
we had a very small team who could get to work and stay distanced, isolating in individual labs and offices. And even though we might be uh, 20 feet apart uh, in our work, if we had a reason to have a meeting, we would get on our computers and do it by Zoom. So we just stayed away from each other, but we're still able to come to work and operate. Um, the work that we've been doing is still pretty niche. So we didn't feel, uh, first of all, that we had an opportunity to pivot more directly uh, toward COVID research that um, would serve us well uh, in, in the long term. Um, I would say that we are uh, that we did have some opportunities uh, with other clients uh, because of that. But uh, now I would say we're closer to pre-COVID in our business interactions. Um, we were uh, in a uh, operating mode, but it, it was, of course, very different uh, and probably not as effective and efficient as it is now that we're all vaccinated and working in a more traditional way together. It's great to hear. And I think that many businesses found they could still operate in, in a safe way. And um, thinking about the technologies and upcoming funding opportunities, and even thinking about the location of the company, what are some challenges um, faced in, in the future? Or what are some opportunities that have come out of either the last year and a half or um, over the lifespan of Trialtus in general that you're looking forward to? Sure. Well, uh, related to, to COVID more, you know, our business did stall a bit overall because of that, because many of the labs we were calling on were shut down or had dropped, dropped all their research that really they had been working on that wasn't, you know, in favor of sort of all hands on deck towards COVID. And uh, I certainly appreciate, uh, and we all do, the outcome that arose from that tremendous level of effort from so many places. Uh, but for us in the moment, it meant the same people that might otherwise be a client were saying, uh, check back with us next year or whenever we've shifted back. Um, on the other hand, it did create opportunities. Some of these labs asked us to do contract manufacturing while they were shut down. And this led to a meaningful pivot uh, in what we did. We now get uh, at least half of our revenue from uh, contract manufacturing work. And I've, we've found that to be a great opportunity because um, it's related to a challenge for us that the, the, one of our key challenges is while we feel like we have a compelling technology that can make um, significant impact, not just incremental improvement, but a significant improvement in someone's uh, processes for purification, there's quite a hurdle to adopt a new technology. Um, most places have already built large libraries of expression plasmids that utilize other systems. So to switch over is not a trivial thing. Um, what we found, though, through this pivot to uh, contract small custom manufacturing projects is that this could be an um, uh, entry into uh, using the system. And rather than relying on us providing uh, tools and protocols and crossing our fingers and hoping for the best, it put us more in control of that trans, uh, that transition. So uh, we, we've had much higher success rate with working with clients and doing some or all of the work ourselves versus just being a reagent provider. So 
I, I would say that is a ongoing challenge is being uh, small and having something new and no one's heard of you. And why should I try this when what I've got seems to work reasonably well? Um, but this pivot to services has been a good answer for us to that, to that problem. Um, and then, you know, one other thing that we, we did get some interesting work from uh, COVID with researchers that um, used our technology um, to purify, for instance, uh, spike protein for, for COVID. Um, uh, and then uh, one other last thing related to, I guess, opportunity is we've been, uh, shifting our focus from primarily academic users in the first couple of years of our existence. Uh, we felt like these would be early adopters and uh, their work would, and pu later publication would help um, validate our technology. Uh, but at the same time, these tended to be uh, fairly low volume and um, not ideal as an ongoing business model until you get really significant scale. Uh, in the past year, we've been working much more with uh, biotech and pharma companies on larger scale projects and um, finding that to be, again, a, a good pivot uh, that sort of helped offset the, um, the, the economics of doing small, very small orders with, with academic users. That's interesting. And um Pivots happen in all sorts of ways, I guess, in, in, in for businesses throughout this time. I'm, I'm sure we haven't made our last one. We, we, we've, we've made a few already in our very short history, and I'm sure yes. there are more to come. I feel like that's a good thing. You know, you guys are able to show your, can adapt to the environment around you. So now that we know a little bit more about the background and origin story of Trialtis, Naomi, I, I'd like to ask you um, about sort of your own scientific origin story, if you will, what, what inspired or drove you to study biology? Well, I love that you asked this question because I was thinking about it and I remembered that I didn't like science at all in grade school. Um, but for me, what got me interested was two special teachers. And the first was my seventh grade science teacher, Mr. Hoover. Um, he made science more about discovery than about memorization although there's always some memorization involved. So he had us calculate pi. We'd go around our homes and find anything round, like a doorknob or a coffee can, and measure it with a piece of string, measure the, the diameter, and then what do you notice? Does everything come out to the same answer and stuff like that? We calculated focal distance for lenses and made telescopes, and we also dissected fetal pigs so um, I actually used my notebook in college because Mr. Hoover made us keep notebooks, that's for sure. He was not a particularly friendly, cuddly kind of teacher. He's more like the John Houseman um, character in Paper Chase where, uh, you know, he wore a suit every day and it was Miss Logsdon. It was actually a little bit terrifying, but, um, but it, was, it was really fun because it was the first time I'd experienced science as a discovery process rather than memorization. Um, and so that got me to college um, where I worked with Dr. Joe Martin at Rice University. And at the time, the only thing I knew what to do with a biology degree was to teach or go to med school. So I was kind of under challenged in high school. So I figured I should do something hard like med school. And um, 
I had a work study as part of my financial aid package. So I landed a job with Dr. Martin in his lab, and he's the one who showed me that you can do research with it. And again, that brought back the, the discovery aspect. So uh, I just loved it. I hung out in the lab constantly. I ended up with four publications as an undergraduate, and I'm a big proponent of undergraduate research. So I hope I'm not the only one with that answer. You aren't. I can go back to some of our episodes, and it's kind of a it depends on the on the environment, I think, before people really are find science as something that they're interested in. And it sounds like you had a great early science uh, support and experience. Um, uh, focusing on sort of the science and technologies you're working on today in industry um, uh, are related to tech technologies for purification, which we've talked about a little bit uh, in previous episodes of The Chain. Can you give me a brief description of the types of purification uh, Trialtis works on now? Sure. Um, I think Bob mentioned that we do use our technology to purify proteins that we sell, but um, what's becoming more um, popular actually are custom purification services using our technology. And it seems that um, our customers usually are approaching us because they either have no expertise in-house or they have problem children that they've tried over and over with various other systems and haven't been successful. So um, it's been really fun, actually. It's still kind of a bit of a challenge every time, but um, those are the, I would say those are the two main purifications. And then also, um, we have worked on a number of different types of proteins. So we can do DNA, RNA binding proteins, multi-subunit proteins. Um, so it's, uh, as Bob had said, I'm not sure we can claim that it's universal because we haven't tried absolutely everything, but it does seem to be broadly applicable. That's nice. And is there something novel about uh, the technology? I want to know more about sort of the custom purification services. I think that's an interesting idea that companies can come to you with. Okay, um, sure. So our technology is based on an ultra high affinity between the tag and its binding partner. And as Bob had mentioned, it's based on a bacterial collison DNAs. Um, so we were able to mutate away the DNA binding and um, cleavage activities without affecting that ultra high affinity because it's an allosteric inhibitor. It's not right at the active site. So, um, so what makes this novel is that uh, we can load in very high salt because that interaction is so specific that uh, it's very uh, practically impervious to salt. Um, and in fact, loading in high salt is key to some of our uh, one-step purification protocols. Um, and then the other thing that's really unique about it is, I mean, it's curious, it would be interesting to learn more of how this happens, but the tag has an ability to confer increased expression and solubility for proteins expressed in E. coli. And that's not something you would necessarily expect from a protein that used to be a DNase, but um, that seems to be really helpful for challenging proteins. Interesting. And something else that Bob mentioned, maybe you'll cover is the, the IM7 system, um, which I, is that the system you're using to purify the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein? Yes. And actually that work is being done by one of our customers who is an early adopter as part of a vaccine development project. Um, so he has expressed that protein in mammalian cells, in CHO cells, and it secretes that into the media. 
So it was nice to learn that the tag does not interfere with, with that process in mammalian cells either. And it kind of uh, demonstrated the versatility of the system. Um, we haven't, the, the system was a, um, developed for use in E. coli, but we're continuing to move into other expression systems. I think that's the way that we'll go in the future is we've not um, looked, done a lot of work in insect or mammalian cells ourselves. So moving into other types of expression systems, and I know, you know, Bob was talking about a lot of the pivots that the company has had. What is on the horizon for Trialtis and uh, technological advancements um, and protein purification, which Bob, you mentioned some of this in your last answer. This is open to both of you. And I I suppose, what are you most excited about? Okay, um, I'll go go first. first. I'll I'll add as... (laughs) As needed. <laughs> okay. Um, so one thing that I think is very interesting is because the affinity uh, between these two binding partners is so high, it's as high as some antibodies. So I think it would be really interesting to look at um, its use in other applications, such as cut and tag or cut and run, that um, re- could replace awkward antibody titrations. Um, a lot of genomics uh applications, I think that would be very interesting to try. It's not clear to me it would work for denaturing conditions such as Western blots because we just don't know how robust the, the binding would be um, if they had been denatured. Um, but I think that would be really, really interesting to look into. And then also we have a collaboration with Clemson to develop new support matrices for functional groups, uh, namely membrane supports. So um, they are experts in developing adsorptive membranes for purifying biologics. And I think combining their technology with ours could really add a lot of speed and um, versatility to the system. Yeah, and on the uh, production of recombinant proteins, which we've uh, just begun really, uh, there, there's a Venn diagram on the whiteboard in my office with, with three circles and one represents um, recombinant proteins that are in uh, high use, you know, uh, high demand for them in the marketplace. One, one circle is that uh, whether it's growing or uh, shrinking as a market. And then the third is whether we, our technology can provide some uh, compelling advantage. Uh, we, there, there are a lot of vendors that make very good recombinant proteins. So if, if the existing solution is satisfactory and uh, the price is reasonable, uh, we don't see where we add much just by being a me too. But, but we're finding some where uh, either the existing solution is uh, the purity is not as satisfying as researchers would like, or the price is prohibitive uh, and where our method may lend itself to a significant reduction in cost of goods because we're able to purify frequently in a single chromatography step, we can then pass on that lower cost of production as the lower cost of a product. So I think we're, we're looking for and exploring opportunities where uh, the demand is there. The it's still on the front half of a growth curve uh, in terms of scientific interest and utility uh, where we can also um, add something to the current market that doesn't uh, exist yet. Uh, and there should be several more recombinant proteins from us in the next several months that fit those criteria. That's great. 
Um, I look forward to seeing where Trialtis pivots to next and sort of where you guys can apply your technology to and uh, what clients you work with. Um, so thank you both for your time today and for sharing your stories and your, you know, your company stories. Um, it's been a great time. Thank you very much. Thanks, Hannah. Thank you for joining us on The Chain. Tune in next episode for more conversations about science, research, and exploring the world of protein engineering.